The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Latter-day Lives podcast. My name is Sean Rapier. I am your host, and this is episode number 41, and what an amazing episode we have for you this week. Carrie Summers is just someone who brings joy with him everywhere he goes. He is an Elvis impersonator, he is a ventriloquist, a singer, a magician, an all-around incredible entertainer and guy, and we've got a, a just an incredible conversation coming up for you. Uh, this week in my Latter-day Life, I'm going to tell you a little bit uh, about ministering to the one or two and a neat experience that I had this week. And I want to send a special shout out and a thank you to some dear old friends of ours. Uh, More than 20 years ago when we were a young married couple, we were in the same ward with some really neat people named Jan and Guy Klinger. And uh, we lost touch with each other. And this week, Guy had found the podcast and sent me a message and uh, just a wonderful uh, message from him. And we were able to go back and forth a little bit it is so fun reconnecting with people, and that's happened a few times with this show, where people have found the show and we've been able to reconnect. So Guy, thank you. That really made my week. And thank you to all of you who send messages and reach out. I get some that they specifically say, please don't read this on air. Some are very personal, and people share with me the experiences they've had listening to our guests, or just what's going on in their own Latter-day lives. And I love it. I can be reached at Sean at LatterdayLives.com, that's S-H-A-W-N, at LatterdayLives.com, or through our Facebook page, or our Instagram, or our Twitter. And thank you so much for all you do, uh, just to support the show. Our listenership continues to grow. In fact, for April, and this will air still on the last day of April, so we'll have all the listens to the first day of this show, uh, but we are already several hundred more listens than we have ever had uh, in a month. So it just continues to grow. And that's all thanks to all of you. If you know someone who would enjoy the show, if you're thinking, hey, you know, this person sure would love it. If you could share it with them, boy, that just means the world to us. We want to keep this thing going and growing and just make the world hopefully a little bit of a better place because there are so many incredible uh, members of the church out there we still have to talk to. All right, that's all we've got for business this week. So sit back, Relax and enjoy this week's conversation. And sitting in front of me, my guest is a dear old friend of mine who I've known for more than 20 years now. A man who, when he walks down the street, you cannot help but notice him. In fact, as he was walking up our driveway, my 15 year old son said, Wow, he has cool hair. My guest is Carrie Summers. Carrie, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you're on. So, Carrie, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? Well, I am an entertainer that uh, does a variety show, and I do magic, I do ventriloquism, I do comedy, I do impressions, and I do a tribute to uh, Elvis. Yes, and if you saw Carrie, and, and hopefully you'll go to our Facebook page and you'll see there is no doubt that Carrie is an amazing Elvis impersonator. How long does it take you to get your hair to look like that in the morning? My wife complains. My daughters complained. I took more time in the bathroom than they did. 
That's all I'll say. <laughs> Carrie's got the most fantastic Elvis. What's the hairstyle? A pompadour? It's kind of a... Well, you know, back in, in a certain era, back in the 50s, pompadour was just the, that style. That was just it? The good old Southern style. You know, a lot of Southern gentlemen wore their hair that way, but that was just the way Elvis kind of grew his hair, and it, it's a good style for me because it makes me taller. Yeah, yeah. You are a little bit shorter than Elvis. Yeah, people say, how tall are you? I said, well, I'm about five foot four, and that's not a good hair day. <laughs> That is fantastic. I can't wait to hear, because of all the years I've known you, um, I cannot wait to hear kind of the story of how this all came together. But it's a very rockabilly look, your hair. Your your whole look is very Elvis meets rockabilly, very cool. You're a lot yeah. cooler than I am, Gary. I've oh, gotten... well, you know, people have sometimes said, you know who you look like? And I'm waiting for them to say Elvis. And they said, no, you look like Wayne Newton. I go, what? <laughs> anyway. Okay, I can Whatever. see that now. Actually, I can kind of see but, a little but see, bit. Now of I'm Newton. doing I'm doing Johnny Cash in oh, my show, I and I, I used to Johnny have sideburns Cash. like Elvis did, the old mutton chops. And I, I shaved those off so Damn. I can do some of the other uh, impressions that I do now. So you do have a good Johnny Cash look. I'm going to say now that you've said it, I actually think you've got more Johnny Cash, or maybe it's just your face is more Johnny Cash than Elvis even. Yeah, I'd I had never noticed I think that so. before. I think so. That is just awesome. Well, let's go way, way back in the, the way back machine. Tell us where you're from, Carrie. Grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, and uh, had three sisters growing up. I was kind of right in the middle. And my mother had a background of singing. Uh, she was in the Tabernacle Choir for really? many, many years, played violin and a precursor of the Utah Symphony, which was at that time the McCune Symphony. Hmm. My dad was a very funny guy by nature. My grandmother was one of the funniest ladies I'd ever met. And so I think f music and comedy just sort of evolved into my life. Awesome. Awesome. So growing up, that was all valued in your family. Oh, very much so. And uh, <laughs> interestingly enough, um, my mother always made us listen to good music. That was that was really an important thing. Yeah. And so uh, fast forward a few years when I started doing the Elvis and then looking backwards, I thought that never would have played growing up. But everything has a timetable, and it works out. And uh, later on, I'll tell you uh, a story that ties in with the Tabernacle Choir when I got a chance to to perform for them. But I'll, I'll, I'll leave that for a little later on. All right, we got to make sure we get to it, though. But I want to hear about your first experiences entertaining. Like, did you know you were an entertainer when you were really young? You know, my mom said I was a born entertainer. She said when I was born, the doctor slapped me. I thought it was applause, and I just kept going. And... <laughs> That's such a great line. Yeah, but you, when you were a kid, anyway. did you put on... I, I talked to a lot of entertainers, and a lot of them put on shows, sang into their hairbrushes, and put on shows in their room, or for family night, or whatever it was. Yeah, you know, I... I really loved magic. That was my first love. And I had an uncle, my dad's brother, gave me a magic trick when I was about eight years old. And I was off and running. I, I learned all these magic tricks. And I set up a card table in the front yard and charged my friends 25 cents to come and see my big show. And nice. that, was the, that was the start of it when I was eight years old. Did you have a, a magic name? Not till later. Uh, I later on uh, served a mission for the LDS church, went down to Australia, spent two years down there, and was very fortunate in being able to perform with a, another group of missionaries. We called ourselves the Sons of Mormon, but I was doing a little <laughs> magic act, and so I called myself the Great Cardani. The Great Cardani? Yeah, my middle from? name is Don, and so it was Carrie Don, and then like Houdini added an I to the end of his name. Ah, Cardani. And so Cardani. 
So how, how did you use magic in your mission? It was interesting. We, we had this group, uh, I think there's about eight of us. We traveled the whole east coast of Australia from Sydney clear up to Cairns. We drove in cars and a caravan. We had a whole bunch of things sent over from Salt Lake City, Utah. It was like a miniature visitor center that we traveled with. We'd perform at shopping centers, and we'd do a few television appearances and go on radio and sing songs and talk about the church a little bit. Of course, the display that we had was was all about things pertaining to like the Book of Mormon yeah. and the church and things like that. But it was very, very successful, and people that came to our show, uh, we performed at all the different wards and branches along the way, and they had to bring an investigator, somebody that would be interested in the church. That was their ticket to come and see the show. How great! Yeah. I have never heard of anything like that. Oh, it was, it was great. We were kind of a pilot program, uh, and those members of the LDS faith will know the name Marky Peterson. Sure. And he was the one that kind of headed it up. We were a pilot program, and it was very, very successful. And in fact, so much so that they had us do it again. And so we we did that whole route again from Sydney up to Cairns the second time. And it was during that time that I had gone back to my mission president. And I says, you know, I've done my magic that I know. And I need a new act. And so he says, here. He took $25 out of his pocket and gave it to me. He says, go down to the magic shop in Sydney and buy yourself a new act. No way. How cool is that? Yeah, it was very cool. And so, you know, $25, even back then, still didn't buy you a whole lot of stuff. But I, I went into the magic shop and hanging on the wall was a ventriloquist puppet. <laughs> I said, oh, that's it. That's it. And it was yeah. exactly $25. So I was off and running as a ventriloquist. And if it hadn't have been for going on a mission, if it hadn't been for going to that magic shop, buying that little ventriloquist dummy, that never would have springboarded into what happened later with developing other voices, getting into the Elvis thing was all related to that. Wow. So your mission, I mean, really oh, changed it, the course of your life. Yeah. It put a whole new foundation under me. Did you fall in love with entertaining right away? I mean, when you first started, did you love the rush of it or did it take a little while? You no, know, it to took get a long it? time. And, and that's a, a really good question. Cause when I was, when I was, uh, when I was little, I guess, growing up, I was really shy. I, I was really... Okay, I can't imagine that. I, I know. This this is a shock to a lot of people when they meet me. Well, when they know me, they, they well, know that i Well, not just never... because you're an entertainer, but you're an outgoing, really friendly guy. So, yeah, it, it was it's something I had to develop, though. Wow. Surprising. Yeah. But anyway, it's, it's there to stay now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. It's interesting because I think everybody's mission prepares them in different ways. But to, to have that kind of experience that then translates directly into a career, I don't know that I've ever heard of that. Of course, I've gone into sales, so I guess I was yeah. doing that on my mission too, just selling a much bigger product right, right. on my mission. Yeah. So, so you come home from Australia. Where did, uh, where did you go from there? Well, interesting. On the way home, I stopped in Hawaii. We, we went to New Zealand and Hawaii, and we went to the Polynesian Cultural Center, and I fell in love with Hawaii. I says, I want to marry a Hawaiian when I come back. I, I'm going to move to Hawaii. I'm going to go to school there. And so I put in an application. Uh, I got to backtrack a little bit. Back in fifth grade, I started playing trumpet. And I got pretty good on trumpet. And so Hawaii offered me a scholarship to come there and play trumpet and go to school. The, was uh, that, the church college. Was that BYU-Hawaii? Hawaii? Yeah. Yeah, the old... Well, what what was before BYU yes. Hawaii the old Church College of Hawaii the Church College was it really yeah. co was it called I the think Church it was, College of I Hawaii? think so yeah how cool anyway 
So, so you got I, a scholarship was, I was going to go. I was going to go. I was ready to go. But in the meantime, I met this cute little gal, blonde hair, blue eyes. Her name was Carla. Yeah. She's now my wife. <laughs> and she said, no, don't go. So I didn't. I didn't go. But then I didn't know what to do. And so to show you how fate also can, can play out in your life, my, my same uncle that gave me that magic trick back when I was eight years old happened to have gone on a mission. And his, one of his missionary companions was head of the program bureau at Rick's College. Oh, wow. And so my dad, my uncle, and I hopped in the car, drove up to Rexburg, Idaho, and went and visited a guy named by the name of John Thompson. His sister was Janie Thompson, who was head of the, um, well, I guess the, uh, well, they didn't call it program bureau at BYU, but anyway, the, the folk dancers and all that stuff at, at BYU. Anyway, so John Thompson, right there on the spot, without even knowing me, just on my uncle's recommendation, he gives me a scholarship, says, yeah. You don't mind performing, do you, while you're up here? So, oh, well, I guess I'm, I could have my arm twist a little bit. So it was a wonderful time at Rick's College. We, I did perform while I was there. I traveled with the program bureau. We went to Europe and traveled all over and doing magic. I played the trumpet while I was there and was in every band and just had a great time. So there had to have been a couple of days at Rick's uh, because, I, I mean, I've spent some time up there. Where that snow is coming down, it's minus 20, and you're thinking, I was also offered Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, you know, I didn't know that it could be that cold anywhere on, no, on this Rexburg earth. is special cold. It's, oh, yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't understand what cold was till I went up there. So were you, did you marry Carla while you were there? Uh, oh, wow, you want to hear an interesting story. Yes. She was in high school when I got back from my mission. She was oh, wow. a junior in high school. I fell in love. We got engaged when she was 16. You got engaged and you were 20. I was 21. So there's a five year spread. We wow. waited until she got uh, to be 18 years old. I had graduated from Rick's and she'd got in a year up at Rick's before we got married, but it all worked wow. out. And how long have you been married now? Uh, 40, 42 years. Incredible. What a cool story. People say that I robbed the cradle. She says she robbed the grave, but you know. <laughs> I think that's the making of success. So, so you have all these incredible experiences. I mean, that's amazing. In your young twenties, you've now toured Europe. Toured you've Europe, served a mission, yep. and you've toured Australia. Toured Australia. You must have just known at that point. Hey, I am an entertainer. This is it. Well, that was what my true love was. Yeah. So, how did you then parlay this? You you ended up leaving Ricks. How did you parlay this into a career in entertainment? Well, um, for a while, I. I actually went to work doing other things than entertaining. I sold pianos for, for many, many years for about five different music stores. I was the permanent fixture, and the store revolved around me and just kept <laughs> coming in and changing names. One day I said, you know, I want to do something else. I don't want to do retail sales anymore. And so through a long uh, process, uh, I'll shorten up in one sentence, God opened up a way. And I was off and running as awesome. an entertainer. And uh, it was really, really fun. My wife and I were able to tour, uh, if you know what the USO was, sure. the Bob Hope USO days. Well, it still exists. And people yeah. get to travel around the world and perform for the uh, military. It might be Army, Navy, Coast Guard, Marines. And it was a fabulous, fabulous uh, time in my life when I 
I got to know what it's really like to be a full-fledged entertainer where you are giving from your heart and it's not all, uh, you know, that glamour and glitz of Hollywood. No, it might be you're on top of a mountain in Turkey one day performing for 23 guys Mm. and, or it might be we got uh, to perform on the Eisenhower aircraft carrier that was docked off the coast of France and there were 6,000 people we performed for. But it, it let me cut my teeth really strongly and entertaining. Yeah, we had Jason Hewlett, uh, who's a he. He does uh, musical impressions. He was on the show, and he Jason's did. A, awesome, yeah. Yeah, he did a USO tour. He talked talked quite a bit about that, and what a rewarding, rewarding thing. I mean, I'm sure that the gratitude from these incredibly brave soldiers who are out there. I'm sure it must have just like filled your heart. Oh, well, you know, it. They made us. It might have been twenty or twenty three guys in a room. But they made us feel like we were the the president of the United States coming to visit or the king of some country or the queen of England or something. They just they rolled out the red carpet before they gave us everything they had. It was mm. it was an amazing experience. So when when you get start talking to some of these soldiers and whatnot, or whoever you're performing for, you tell them you're from Utah, do you get the question, so are you Mormon? Oh, all the time. And right now I do quite a lot of performing on cruise ships, and that happens all the time. You know, you just meet somebody walk around the ship, and everybody wants to be nice and friendly. Say, hey, where are you from? And I said, well, I'm from Utah. Oh, are you Mormon? That's the, that's the first question out of their mouth. Yeah. And I said, yes, I am. How much do you know about the Mormons? Would you like to know more? Anyway, it's, it's an a incredible perfect experience. lead in uh, the old missionary question, you know? Yeah. I'll tell you, and it it— Having been on several cruises and having a lot of friends who entertain on cruise ships, I think just the fact that you've got a clean act is going to raise some eyebrows of people going, there's something different. I mean, the fact that you have a clean act, sadly, that's now the exception to the rule on cruise ships. You're so right. And years ago, I thought that I wanted to go do a career and, and do comedy clubs. And I found out very quickly that was not the direction I wanted to go after one experience. And then I sent a, uh, back in the old VHS videotape days, I sent a tape off to New York to uh, have myself booked on a cruise ship. They said, no, you're not dirty enough. Yeah. I thought, well, that's a very nice compliment. Thank you. But I'm on cruises now, and I have a an act which you could take your grandmother to or your kids to, mm. and there's no, there's no hint of uh, anything that you would, yeah. you would be remorseful for being there for and 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 you've got some great clips of what you do on youtube that we will share on our social media so this week be sure to check out uh our facebook page and we'll we'll share some of those uh some of those highlights because it's fantastic um i i i had a similar experience where i had a cruise ship call me and offer to book me and they said well you'll do the eight o'clock show clean. Can you do clean? And I laughed and said, yeah, clean is actually not much of an issue for me. And they said, and then there'll be an 11 o'clock show and that's the blue show. And I said, no, I, I, I'll do both clean. I'll kill. I'll do great. And they said, no, if you're going to be, cause I'm more of a traditional comic. Right. They said, no, we need a blue show. They expect you. And isn't it sad? And then, and yet when people, people go in expecting it, but then they forget. You know, I, I had a private show once that booked me where he said, well, I don't know if you're clean. I don't know. It was a construction company. He said, our guys are rowdy. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll perform. If you don't love the show, don't pay me. 
And good he, for you. after the show, he came up and handed me the check and he said, it was 15 minutes in before it dawned on me. Oh yeah, this guy's not swearing. He goes, I, I never thought this would work, but it was a fantastic good show. Good for you. Uh, so you are, you are very much kind of a, a, a throwback to a different time where performers were very talented in everything. I mean, you are a singer, uh, an impersonator, a ventriloquist, a magician. You're kind of, you've got all of these great talents. Jack of all trades. Yeah. It's fantastic. And I try to master them all. <laughs> but, but it's such, it comes from a different, from a, almost a different time. Cause now there are so many entertainers, entertainers, I do air quotes, uh, who do one thing or another. I mean, it's got to be pretty rewarding to be able to to kind of switch things up and, and do a lot of different things. Well, it is because I can go on a cruise ship and I can do an all magic show. And then I can do another show that's uh, impressions and ventriloquism. Then I can do a, a full hour to an hour and a half of all Elvis. And so I can also, like for a corporate gig, I'll, I'll mix them all in together and do a really tight 45 minute to an hour show. Yeah. So, but it's, it is having that, that basket that you can, you can choose from, I think. That's that great. Really makes it successful. Do you have a show that you remember that specifically stands out as really not going well? Almost all the comics we've had, come on. We, we all remember some of our shows where you couldn't get out of the place fast enough. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, Actually, this the sad thing is that there there have been a few of those. <laughs> hey, we all have every but one of us. Then the on the positive side, you have one like the next time you just kill and you go, man, what was I thinking? What happened last time? And it's interesting. Sometimes you, and you try and dissect this, and I think as entertainers, we'll sit with each other and we'll say, well, what went wrong? You know, and it can be something small. It can be the sound system that's messed up. Or it can be the audience was just really not in the mood to be there. They'd rather be out on the golf course than in watching your show or whatever it might be. But uh, you seem to do the same thing over and over and over again. It's the same lines, the same material. You think you're up and pumped for it. And then all of a sudden it falls flat and you don't know why. You know, yeah. It's just Isn't interesting. the worst. I did a show once uh, for a company where their CEO was retiring. And I mean, it was about 800 people, nice size crowd. Everything was perfect. But their CEO is retiring, and they did a retrospective slideshow of his life and the, how he built the company by hand. And then he was starting a nonprofit. They gave him a check for $5,000. He stood up bawling his eyes out about how much he loved. The whole room's crying. And when he finished, the MC for the night walked over and said, Wow, we're going to miss you, Jack. And now here's our comedian. <laughs> Ooh, that's hard to pick that up. Yeah, the first 20 minutes were really, really rough. So of everything you do, what's your favorite? Do you have a favorite? You know, I think the audience's favorite is always the ventriloquism. I mean, yeah. I love the Elvis. I love the magic. But the ventriloquism, it just is fun. It's just fun. You do something very different that I had never seen uh, with your ventriloquism, which is you have audience members come up and be your ventriloquist dummy. Yeah, How did it's that so come fun. about? It's so fun. Well, I, I'd like to say I originated it, but I didn't. But I have put my own spin on what I do with it, and I'll have them singing, and they'll be yodeling, and and I'm doing all the voices, but it looks like they're the live dummy up on the stage. And it's interesting, after one of my shows, 
and I had the the dummy or this live human dummy yodeling, and his friend came up after and says, "Hey, Steve, I didn't know you knew how to yodel." And <laughs> you really thought he was, was doing yeah. it. Yeah, and it's so so believable. I, I think there's that little kid in all of us still, no matter what age we are, that still wants to have that that moment of, of magic, real magic in our life, where things that aren't real s- seem like they're real. And that's kind of what ventriloquism is. It's just, it crosses over that barrier from from non to real to, you know, you just don't know really what it is, but you know it's you're having a great time doing it. Yeah. And they just love it. And they're laughing. And uh, I listened to a recording of one of my shows one time, and I think there was a laugh about every six or seven seconds. How and rewarding. That's just fun. Oh. So I have a, a good friend who's a, uh, a magician, and we were talking, and he was saying how difficult it is in the internet age because everyone can pull out a phone and try to look up how illusions are done. And, and magicians are very open about the fact that you know, it's an illusion and it's, right. it's what you do. But I think ventriloquism, everybody knows how it's done, but it's more magical because it requires so much talent and so much skill. Yeah, it's, it's an old, old art. I mean, ventriloquism goes clear back to the days of the pharaohs. People used to make statues talk. And now we have, with modern facilities like a microphone, it can make the illusion even better because they don't really know where that sound's coming from. <laughs> uh, just adds to the believability. Yeah. But it's, it's so fun. And I've had a lot of little kids, especially, will come up after a show and they want to see the puppet and they want to hold it and they want to kiss it or whatever. And I've kind of got away from the standard Charlie McCarthy yeah. ventriloquist dummy, as they're called, because it can be kind of scary to a little kid because it's so believable. They don't, they know it's not real. Yeah. But it looks so real. They don't know really where it's at. Right. And so I kind of got a little bit away from that. But I, I had a, an ex- experience one time with performing where I put the, this was back when I had the full size dummy. His name was Jonathan, about the size of a third grader. And so <laughs> at the end of the show, I put Jonathan in a suitcase, closed the lid, slammed the lid on his legs, and he screams, and I'm trying to struggle to get him in. And then. <laughs> Finally, I closed the lid, and that's the end of the show. And it was for a group of about fourth and fifth graders. And the teacher, one of the teachers brings little Susie back stage while I'm putting my things away. She says, Mr. Summers, um, we've been teaching our kids not to put their brothers or sisters in an old abandoned refrigerator or a trunk of a car, and you just put this little kid in the suitcase and shut the lid on him. Could you please show little Susie that he's okay? I said, oh, sure. (laughs) So little Susie comes over and I open up the case, took the puppet out and says, look, it's just a puppet. And then I did something that I've regretted since then. I thought I'd show her how the head worked. So I took it off. Oh, no. I want to show her all the controls. Well, I decapitated him after putting him in the trunk. (laughs) So that wasn't a good thing. She's probably married uh, and has kids, grandkids now, telling about how she was traumatized by a ventriloquist in third grade. And First you put it in the case and you decapitate uh, yeah, it. Yeah, decapitate it. <laughs> Some things are better left to the imagination, So maybe. now I use things like a, a little sock puppet or a rabbit puppet, something yeah. that's a little bit more friendly. <laughs> that is really funny. Uh, tell us about your kids. I have two kids. We uh, went the adoption route, and our first child was a Hawaiian-Samoan mix, and uh, she is 
um, living down in St. George and has two little boys. Awesome. And then I have another daughter that's married, lives in Orem. And uh, no kids yet from, from them, but they are uh, great. They live about five minutes from us. We have Sunday dinner with them every week. Great. And they're very, very talented in everything they do as well. What did they think about dad growing up? You know, when, well, first of all, how long have you had the Elvis hair style? Well, the Elvis look's been around for a long, long time. And it's a fun question that you ask about what they thought because. When kids are in about the junior high school age, they're kind of thinking mom and dad aren't that cool anyway. And then dad had a weird hairstyle going on. So when I went to take them to school, they said, dad, just drop us off at the corner. We'll walk the rest of the way. (laughs) They didn't want to be seen with Elvis. But now all of their friends, that's all they know. They don't even know my name. They just call me Elvis. And, And now my kids think it's the coolest thing in the world. And all their friends think it's cool. Oh, that is so excellent. And then you've got grandkids coming up. We're going to think. I've got these little grandkids that uh, they're ages six and 10 now. But a couple of years ago, my wife, who's a costume designer, made little Elvis jumpsuits for them. Oh, no way. And so they've got their own YouTube channel of the Elvis Brothers. And Kyson and Kyler, you can see them doing their little Elvis thing. And Oh, my gosh. We will link yeah. to it on Facebook yeah. for sure. Yeah. That, so coming that was, that up another fun. generation. So yes, my retirement program. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty fantastic. <laughs> passing it along to the next generation. Do you have a Do you have a favorite song that you do? Of the Elvis songs, I have probably one of my favorite songs is a song called "In the Ghetto." Yeah, a song written by Mac Davis many years ago. It talks about the circle of life, and it's just uh, it's a sad song, but it's a very endearing song. When people listen to it, they just can't get it out of their head, and it's it's beautiful. Yeah, and that's it's one of my favorite songs. Uh, it is, I cry most of the time when I hear it. It's a beautiful song, but it's a it's kind of a there's a hopefulness to desolation. I mean, it's literally about the ghetto, right? But then it's about finding beauty in the people that are there and the struggle and it's, it's a great it's, song. It's true life is what it is. There's another story uh, or another song rather with a story behind it, and the uh, the song is called "The Wonder of You." It's a beautiful song, song. and uh, I thought it was a love song for all these years, and it turns out that the reason why Elvis did it in his concerts is because the wonder of you, in his mind, was the wonder of God and his love for him and for all of his children. How neat. You know, I was in a a documentary a few years back called Mormon Mythalanius. It was Mythbusters for Mormons, and and, uh, I hosted it. And the director, the producers looked into Elvis receiving a Book of Mormon, and they were right. able to validate all that. Right. Isn't that amazing? That is an absolute true story. And uh, the, the story behind that, there was a young gal, her name was Cricket. She was an Elvis fan. Mm. She was a convert to the church and also a big Osmond fan. And so she had given Elvis a Book of Mormon not too long before Elvis passed away and wrote a little thing in it saying, I hope that you enjoy this and hope that it brings you the joy and happiness that it's brought me. Gave it to Elvis and then Elvis passed away and it came back to Cricket who thought it might be best in the hands of one of her other fans or one of her other people that she really liked and was a fan of the Osmond. So she sent it to Alan Osmond. I did not know this part of it. After all the research that yep, they did, yep. and I never heard I this. I happened to be at Alan's house probably 
not more than a day or so after he'd received it. And it was old blueback missionary copy, yeah, uh, softbound of the Book of Mormon. And he handed it to me. He says, Carrie, I think you'll get a charge out of seeing this. And I opened the front page, and there was Elvis's signature, about an inch tall. And I said, are you serious? What's the story? He told me how he'd received it. But what was exciting to me, Sean, is that in looking through this Book of Mormon, out in the margin, and Elvis did this with every book he ever read. He would underline passages and write things out in the margin. Mm. So in the side margin of the book, he wrote things like, I know this to be true. And he'd underline it. And he'd say, yes, I know this in my heart to be true. And then uh, in one part of the book, he says, my daughter Lisa needs this church. Please help her for me. She's only nine. Oh, how has this story not come out? Well, um, that is amazing. Interestingly Carrie. enough, there was a a um, movie producer that wrote. Uh, he was he was non Mormon at the time, but he actually joined the church after doing some research and producing a movie called Tears of a King, and it was all about the life of Elvis. And they actually got permission to go into the church archives and to get that book, which is now in possession of the church, and uh, held had the person performing as Elvis, the actor, uh, actually holding the book and told the whole story, how he read it, and it was very, very, very good. Tears wow. of a King. Tears of a King. Yeah. Okay. We'll I don't think it up. ever got released. I think there were some snags uh, with back with the Elvis mm. estate or something like that, but it was done, and he became a member and did some great things with it. Carrie, that is such an amazing story. And the fact that you, having spent so much of your life in tribute to Elvis, yeah. got to hold that Book of Mormon, that's pretty darn amazing. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Sean, in doing an Elvis tribute, uh, I tell the story in my show of how someone asked Elvis one time, if you weren't a singer, what would you like to become? He said, a preacher. Hmm. Wow. And interestingly enough, out of all of the... Um, uh, the Grammy nominations that he was nominated for, he won three Grammy Awards, and they were all for religious songs. Really? Two of them were for How Great Thou Art. Oh, yeah. And he another was called He Touched version. Me. But how interesting that he actually believed that he had a mission in life, not just as a singer, but as a preacher. Mm. He, he thought and believed, and I believe to this day, that he touched so many people's lives by his music yeah. in a good, positive way. Right. You know, in the old days of Ed Sullivan, where his, his only film from the waist up, and they thought he was lewd and crude. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He still thought he was doing a good good job for people. And I've talked to many people who said their lives were changed by listening to one Elvis song. And in those those moments of desperation where they're thinking of ending it all, they're right there, ready to do it. And an Elvis song came on mm. and changed their life and changed them around. And so I... I hope, I hope I'm doing the right thing to keep that memory of Elvis alive in a good light, not a bad light. No, it's fantastic. And especially, I've heard his a couple of versions of him doing How Great Thou Art. It's amazing. I mean, his voice was built for that song. Yeah, it really I mean, was. It's, it's really done in a beautiful way. I want to make sure we get back to the story of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, since we're talking about singing. Well, um, I got a call one day from uh, a lady who was in charge of putting all of the birthday celebrations together for the prophet of the LDS church and 
Tabernacle Choir members and different things. So she called me and said, the manager of the Tabernacle Choir is having a birthday. And the Tabernacle Choir just got back from Memphis. And we toured Graceland, and the Tabernacle Choir manager went nuts, and he's a big Elvis fan, and we want to have a big Elvis tribute to him on his birthday. Would you please come down to the conference center, and would you mind singing for him and the whole choir? No way. No so, way. You yeah. got asked to sing for the Mormon Tabernacle yeah, Choir. Yeah, so I went in. This was at the conference center. <laughs> I'm in full Elvis regalia, and they had previously got a hold of one of my soundtracks for, I think it was Heartbreak Hotel. I'm in a pretty raucous version of Heartbreak Hotel and something else. And so I come down the stairs in the conference center with music blaring, <laughs> voice singing, and I come down to give a whole presentation to, to the uh, choir manager and then ended up by singing Can't Help Falling in Love, passing scarves out to the audience, uh, the, the ladies in the choir. <laughs> that is the greatest. And it was just fun. And my mother, who'd sung in the choir for 15 years, was there. That night uh. when I was doing this, and she just beamed ear to ear. That's my boy. That's my boy. <laughs> okay, so we've had two members of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir have been here and have been interviewed, but to sing, you entertained the Mormon Tabernacle yeah, Choir. It was awesome. I mean, the list has got to be very short of people who sing for the choir, not with. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, what a what a thing. So, one of these days, I may release. I might release that to YouTube. I've got the footage of it. Oh, have to please. That. I would love to see that. <laughs> and you've got, you've done some recording. I have. Yeah, I've got here How Great Thou Art and other Elvis gospel songs performed by Carrie Summers and Memories of Elvis. This is your Elvis show. Oh, such good music on here. You know, I had an experience meeting one of uh, Elvis's entourage, a guy that played guitar for Elvis for 10 years. He was from Springfield, Missouri. His name was John Wilkinson. Mm. He was in every Elvis concert. He was on all the Elvis albums. And John and I met up. Uh, as it turned out, John lived in Sandy, Utah for a while. Oh, wow. And just fate put us together. and We became very, very close friends. And he did some concerts with me. And we spent a lot of time mm. talking about Elvis. The, the interesting thing was John was, I don't know if he was an atheist, but I'd say an agnostic. Yeah. And John has now passed away, and I think probably mm. Brother Elvis up there in heaven has probably worked a little deal on John <laughs> and saying, now listen to this. This is how it really is. But he was a good, good man. And uh, in fact, he endorsed that CD that I gave you, Sean. And oh, incredible. We had some good, good moments together talking about Elvis. And, and those people that really, really were close to Elvis never said anything bad about him. Yeah, And so that that's kind of what I'd like to leave with the people out there is that don't believe a lot of the things that you hear on the media and the tabloids because they were simply not true. He was a good, decent human being. And he, yeah. had a, he had a light inside him that when he walked into a room, if you were with your back turned to him, you would turn to see what just happened, like somebody flipped a light switch on. Mm. He had an incredible energy. And he was all for helping other people, and, and he wanted to be a righteous person. When he was 19 years old, he was up in Canada on an interview, similar to maybe what we're doing here. Somebody asked him one time this question, Elvis, I hear that you have had reports that they don't like what you're singing, that you're lewd and you're crude. What do you have to say to that? 
And here's this 19-year-old Elvis with all the wisdom in the world said, well, I don't try to be. And it occurs to me that there's never been a perfect man that's ever been on the face of the earth, except for one, that was Jesus Christ. Mm, And they killed him. Oh, my. (laughs) 19-year-old Elvis said that. And so I just just thought that was was pretty incredible. Gary, this has just been wonderful. What a great time. I really appreciate you coming in and sitting down. I'll tell you one thing that I just love. You know, we met, I don't remember how we ended up meeting. I don't remember who introduced us, but... It was about 20, 23, 24 years ago. ago. It's been a very long time, and we've kind of stayed in touch a little bit. But do you remember the last time we bumped into each other? It was. It's been about three years. I I don't. I I do. My memory. It was in the temple. Oh, that's right. We bumped into each other in the temple, and I'll tell you, uh, you are such a talented, just incredible guy who brings so much joy to the world. But being able to like know you through show business a little bit, and uh, you much more than than me, I'm I'm uh, on the periphery of show business. But then to also be able to see you in the temple, it's what I love about the gospel, is that there are so many incredible members of the church like you, and I just appreciate all that you go out and that you do in the world. So it's it's wonderful. Well, thank you, Sean. I I appreciate that coming from you. That means a great deal to me because you're an incredible entertainer in your own right, and. We both do what we think is best to try and make people happy. We live in a world that's right now pretty crazy. And to bring a little joy, a little happiness into somebody's life, even if it's for 45 minutes or an hour, yeah. is so worth it. Oh, that's great. Well, you do great things. We're going to close uh, today with uh, the question that we ask all of our guests. And there's no right or wrong answer. We've had one-word answers and 20-minute answers. But what does being a member of the church mean to you, Carrie? Well, it's an interesting question, Sean. Being a member of the church is being an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And what better way to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ than to go out into the world and and be a performer? They can see by your good works Mm. what it's all about. And there have been people, I I had a (laughs) very interesting thing happen with a guy that had come to one of my Elvis shows. And he was not a member of the church, and through some follow-up and things, he saw something different that he'd never seen before. Mm. I'm wow. making a long story short, but he ended up joining and becoming a member of the church. <sighs> and that's that's so worth it. When people can see your heart and know that you're pure and good, and they know what it's being represented there, and, you know, uh, there's... There's one God, there's, uh, I got I to gotta interrupt this just thought for a second, Sean. Yes, please. When Elvis was doing a concert in Las Vegas one time, somebody came up to him and said, this is for you, Elvis. And they handed him a crown. And he says, why are you handing me a crown? And they said, well, because you're the king. And again, in his wisdom, he says, no, I am not the king. There was only one king, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm, Wow. So if you look at the cover of that little gospel CD I handed to you, I had an idea in my head for a long, long time to have a painting done, and I was going to call the painting A Tribute to the King, which if you see this picture, uh, and I think you can put it up on the site. Yeah, we can put it up on Facebook, sure. Uh, But it shows a picture of Elvis kneeling at the feet of, of Christ. So that's his tribute to the king. Yeah, beautiful. The only one and only. Beautiful. 
Gary, this is just wonderful. And again, the joy that you bring to the world and such good things. And thank you so much. It's a fascinating story. You are just an amazing entertainer, singer, ventriloquist, magician, impersonator, and just bringing joy to the world and all you do. And I appreciate you coming on and sharing your Latter-day life with us. Well, I'll just say thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> the perfect ending. <laughs> thank you. My special thanks to Carrie Summers. What an amazing guy. He just spreads joy everywhere he goes. And in fact, this week in my Latter-day life, I want to tell you a little bit about what happened after we were done with the interview. Carrie and I hung out for a little while just talking about our families and and uh, just kind of generally what's going on in our lives. It was great to catch up with him. And then we went upstairs and I have two sons who still live at home, uh, 14 and 15 years old, Keaton and JC. And there they were, and they got to talking to Carrie for a minute, you know, and Carrie was so nice to them. And then Carrie got a cool twinkle in his eye, and he said, hey, guys, do you want to see a magic trick? And my boys stepped forward, and of course, what teenage boy does not want to see a cool magic trick? And Carrie, like most magicians I know, travel with uh, with a few coins in their pockets. And Carrie began to do the most incredible, and I mean, I've seen a lot of magic, but really impressive sleight of hand with these coins and which hand is it in and which coin is that and how many coins are there? And my son's heads were just spinning like, whoa, how did he do that? And as I sat back as a father, I have no words for how grateful I was. You know, Carrie had already given us more than an hour of his time. And we talk about in the gospel that we should bring all of our, that we should give the Lord all of our time, all of our talents, Um, that's what Carrie does. He put as much energy into showing my two sons uh, about five minutes worth of magic, and it was a lot. It was amazing. He put as much effort and as much work into that as if he were on stage in front of a thousand paying people. And I was so grateful for it. It made me think about what the Savior taught us about the the 99 and 1, that if we lose one, how we should focus on the one. And this week, he focused on the two my sons. And one of the great blessings of doing this podcast is that uh, for the most part, we do some of our interviews over Skype, or sometimes I'll go meet up with someone. But for the most part, people come over to my house and my sons and my other children and my wife, we've, we've been privileged to have writers and directors and actors and comedians and, and now Carrie and all the things he does. We've had these people in our home. And my sons have been able to watch them and say, wow, that person is so cool, and they are an active member of my church. And that type of role model is priceless for me as a parent. And I I just need to remember that in my own life, that it doesn't matter the size of the crowd, that the value of one, the worth of souls, is so great in the eyes of the Lord. And that was a tremendous lesson I learned from my friend Carrie this week. And that is what is happening in my Latter-day life. Thank you again so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Again, listenership has just been amazing. The numbers have been incredible. We appreciate you sharing this with your friends if you can. We just want to keep it going. Next week, we've got another fantastic episode with someone who is so motivating and so fun and exciting. You're just going to love it. But until then, until we meet again, please remember, as always, that there is a great big beautiful world out there. So go be in it.
just not of it. Thanks for listening.